God, God knows everything. Why would God ask us questions? We think of it as a little counterintuitive because we don't think of God as the great questioner. In fact, for most of us, we go to God for answers. That's what happens when we open up the Bible or when we pray. Most of the time, if we're honest, we're really looking for answers. We pray and ask God for guidance to just let us know what he is thinking about this particular subject or this particular topic so we can make a better decision. We see God as the great answer, not the great questioner, which is why it may surprise you as it surprised me this week to learn that God, in the best revelation that we have, that is Jesus, Jesus actually doesn't have that many answers. If you go through the Gospels, Jesus is asked 183 questions. 183 questions. And do you know how many he answers? Three. Three. He answers directly three questions. And here's what's super interesting about that, is that it's not just that he didn't answer that many questions. Do you know how many questions Jesus himself asked of the people following him? 307. There are 307 questions that Jesus asked the people who are following him in the Gospels. It's not just a little bit more than his answers. It's infinitely more than the answers he gives. So the questions that I want to think about today is why in the world did Jesus form his ministry around questions? Why did Jesus ask so many questions? And to answer that, we are going to briefly look at all 307 questions. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. We're going to focus on three. I chose three. So we're going to look at three questions that Jesus asked. Three questions, and I chose these because I think they're representative of a category of questions that Jesus asked. So you know me. Get out your phone. We're going to look at the Bible. Shocker. If you have your phone, you can scroll to John 1. That's where we're going to start. And you can just Google John 1 if you don't have a Bible app. We're going to look at John 1, and we're going to look at the first question that I want to focus on today. You can scroll down to verse 35. That's where we're going to start our story. So John 1, verse 35. I'm using the Common English Bible, C-E-B, if you want to know the translation, but it doesn't really matter if that doesn't bother you. All right, so verse 35. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, the next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. Remember that John the Baptist had gotten his own disciples, right? So the next day, John was standing again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus walking along, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard what he said, and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following, he asked, what are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? We're going to stop there. That's the first question. What are you looking for? So this question is really interesting if you think about it in the open-ended way, right? The open-ended way, what are you looking for? It's even more interesting if you realize that that is the first time that Jesus, the Lamb of God, speaks in the Gospel of John. And it's the form of a question. What are you looking for? 
We can only presume that these disciples were literally following him, like behind him. They were interested, they were curious, but they hadn't really committed to actually following him in terms of being his disciple. So they were following behind him, curious, and Jesus turns, because that's what scripture says, and he literally turns around, maybe the first time he saw them, and he says, what are you looking for? And it's so interesting to me because Jesus had a choice in that moment, right? He could have preached to them. He could have given them the answer. He could have explained why John had just called him the Lamb of God, but he doesn't. He doesn't assume any of that. He doesn't go on preaching about why he's the Lamb of God and why he's here. No, instead, he asks them a question. What are you looking for? It's the first invitation that Jesus offers. It's the way that he attracts disciples to him with a question. What are you looking for? We're going to think more about that, but before we do, let's move on to the next one. We're going to do these really quick. Matthew 8. Matthew 8. You can Google that, and we're starting at verse 23. Verse 23, and this story is a version, there's different versions in each gospel. You've probably heard some version of this before. When Jesus got into a boat, his disciples followed him. A huge storm arose on the lake so that waves were sloshing over the boat. But Jesus was asleep. And they came and woke him saying, Lord, rescue us, we're going to drown. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you people of weak faith? Then he got up and gave orders to the winds and the lake and there was a great calm. The people were amazed and said, what kind of person is this? Even the winds and the lake obey him. And that's where we're going to stop. So it's interesting about this particular story. We need to know a little bit about what happened before. So in this part of Matthew, Jesus has preached. He's gathered his disciples to them. He's given them the Sermon of the Mount which basically explains what it means to live in the kingdom of God. But Jesus has also healed a bunch of people. He's performed a lot of signs or miracles. So at this point, presumably, the disciples believe that there's some power of God in him. There's something miraculous happening in Jesus, and they know it. And that's why they ask Jesus to rescue them. They know, oh, there's something about this guy. They're not fully convinced he's the son of God, but they know that there's something about this guy. And they ask him, Lord, we've seen you perform miracles. Perform on again. Rescue us here. Rescue us now. And, and Jesus, Jesus, instead of rescuing them at that moment, which he eventually does, he asks them a question, why are you afraid? And what's interesting about this question to me is that I don't think Jesus was confused why they were afraid. He wasn't like, oh, I have no idea. This is a question to elicit information. This is something I need to know. Why are you afraid? It's obvious why they are afraid. It's obvious why they're asking to be rescued. They're clinging to the sides of the boat, thinking that they're going to die. But Jesus says, why are you afraid? To me, this question feels like this mirror that Jesus is holding up to them saying, look, guys, you've seen me do all these miracles. I've told you I'm the son of God. I preached this about this. You say you believe me, you're following me, but you don't fully understand what that means. You see, if you fully understood what that means, if you really trusted in me, if you did more than just intellectually assent to the notion that I am the son of God, then you would understand that I have this under control. 
you would understand that you don't need to ask to be rescued, that you will be okay no matter what because you are with God. But instead of solving the situation immediately, Jesus asked a question, why are you afraid? All right, let's move on to the next one. You're going to scroll down in Matthew to Matthew 20. This is our last one. Matthew 20. And we're going to jump to verse 29. This is one of my favorite questions. As Jesus and his disciples were going out of Jericho, a large crowd followed him. When two blind men sitting along the road heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Show us mercy, Lord, son of David. Now the crowd scolded them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted even louder, Show us mercy, Lord, son of David. And Jesus stopped in his tracks and called to them, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Again, what's interesting about this question is like, Jesus doesn't need to know what do they want him, what do they want, let me read that again, what do they want them to do for, no, what do they want him to do for them, got it, what do they want him to do for them, they don't, he doesn't need to know that, he knows that, everyone knows that, right, like they are two blind men sitting on the side of a road, it is obvious, their condition is obvious, they want to be healed, that's why they're there, but Jesus stops and he asks, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Have you ever been to a doctor who they bring you into the room, you've already filled out the intake form, but they, they sit there and instead of looking at the computer or looking at the intake form, they're looking at you and they ask you questions, like real questions. How long has it been like this? Can you tell me a little bit more? What does it feel like when that happens? And you know how that makes you feel? That makes you feel seen and known. You feel like someone is actually listening to you. When you contrast that experience with a doctor who comes in, who's read through your form, knows what's wrong, comes in and gives you a prescription, I mean, it's the same result sometimes, the same prescription, but the experience is completely different. Your relationship with that person is completely different. I think in some ways that is what Jesus is doing here. He stops for a minute, and instead of just assuming that he knows what they want, he gives them a moment, those two blind men, to express what they want, to acknowledge their humanity, to say, yes, I know that you have desires, and I will not assume that I know what they are, because I want you to express them to me. I want to know more about you. I want to know who you are. Tell me what do you want me to do for you? Do you know what's interesting about all of these questions, and actually most of the questions that Jesus asks in Scripture? At the end, Jesus does what the people want him to do. He converts them. He rescues them. He heals them. He does all the things at the end of the story. But before he gets there, before he gets to that rescue or that conversion or that healing, he asks a question. What are you looking for? Why are you afraid? What do you want me to do for you? There was something Jesus wanted from people who followed him 
before he stepped in and showed his glory. There was something that Jesus was looking for with these questions before he stepped in with the final solution. There was something in that time before he healed them, that space between the asking of the question and the answer that Jesus seemed to really care about. I learned this recently with my own son. My son is in this horrific season of asking questions. So my day begins at 6 a.m. with the questions that often sound like, mom, what is the subspecies of a wolf? And these were going on incessantly, like for hours, all day, all day. And after I put him to bed, all day. And so finally I was like, I can't take it anymore. And I showed him how to use Google. We have a Google Home. So I was like, just go up to the Google and this is what you say. And then you can ask the question, you can get the answer. And this worked for like a time being, right? Like it worked for a little while and he would ask the question and Google would respond. But after a while, I recognized like he wasn't asking Google anymore or he'd ask Google and then he'd come back to me and like ask another question. And I like was so frustrated because I was like, you already have the answer. Like what? Not their answers, I don't know. So like, I already, I don't know the answer. They know the answer. Why are you coming back to me? And I realized then a few weeks after this happened that it wasn't about the answers for him. It's never been about the answers. The questions weren't about the answers. What my son was seeking was a relationship with me. That's what the questions were about. It wasn't about the answers. And I'm sure that Jesus' questions do a lot of things, and some of them are a mystery in the end, but more than anything, I think that Jesus' questions are an expression of God's love for us. Jesus' questions indicate that he, like my son, just wants a relationship with us. And like any true relationship, he wants it to come freely, to be something that we chose. Do you know in wedding ceremonies, there's this weird part, and it kind of sounds like a vow at the very beginning, where like the bride and groom come to the altar, but before they do, we have to ask them a question. And it sounds like a vow. And so people get confused, because it says like, will you take so-and-so to be your lawful bride or groom? And we have to ask that, because the state requires that we verify that both persons have come freely to the marriage. It's not considered a true relationship unless both parties come freely to the relationship. And in some ways, I think that's what Jesus is doing with these questions. He's saying, look, I'm gonna ask these questions and they're gonna make you think. They're gonna make you wonder. They're gonna make you question everything that you've learned about what faith is. I'm gonna ask you why you were afraid. I'm gonna ask you, what do you want me to do to you? Not just to test you, but to make you reconsider who you think God is. Because when you do, I want you to know and be certain and be true to come to this relationship freely. To come to me from your own standards and on your own. I think Jesus wants us to live in the space of questions. Because in that space, that's where a relationship lives. And that relationship is called faith. Someone once described faith to me as this giant field that's full of a bunch of obstacles. And God stands on one side and we stand on the other. 
and God wiped out all those obstacles single-handedly with Jesus. But the thing is, is that we're still standing on opposite sides of the field. And God comes towards us. But the bridge can never be completely united unless we take steps too. Unless we move towards him. And I wonder if something that we learn about Jesus and these questions is that Jesus is on the other side, standing there, hand out stress, asking us questions. And the way to be faithful is to ask questions back. I wonder if the act of faith is asking and pursuing the questions that God stirs in your heart. I'll say that again. I wonder if the act of faith is asking and pursuing the questions that God stirs in your heart. I wonder if we've messed up sometimes because sometimes we think faith is the pursuit of answers. But I wonder if Jesus wants us to live in the space of questions in the very way that he lived in the space of questions. Because it is only in that, in that calling back and forth, in that asking and answering, asking and answering, that we are able to have a relationship at all. When people come to me and they ask, what's the first thing I should do to take the next step in my faith? I often tell them that it begins in their own heart, that it begins by listening to the questions that Jesus has placed there. And for those of us who have been through tragedy, through loss or something really hard, we know that those questions can come really easily in those moments. But if, by some mercy, those questions haven't come to your life, then I think a really good place to start is with Jesus' questions to us. So today, to end our time together, we are going to listen prayerfully to Jesus' questions to us. And don't worry, I'm not going to read all 300. But we're going to treat it as a form of prayer. And I always say that prayer is just paying attention to God. So we're going to take a moment, and whatever you need to do to pay attention, for some of you, I know that's closing your eyes. For some of you, it's not. For some of you, it's taking a position, like with your hands, to pay attention. Whatever it takes for you to pay attention, I want you to take these last few minutes as I read these questions that Jesus asked, and I want you to think of them not in the specificity that they were given, but in the open-ended question that they are. And the question that allows you to participate in this relationship that we call faith. That allows you to move towards God and ask a question back. So let's take a moment. And I'll read these questions as a prayer. What are you looking for? Why are you afraid? What do you want me to do for you? What is your name? Why did you begin to doubt? Can you not add one hour to your life by worrying? Do you want to get well? How much bread do you have? Why are you thinking such things in your heart? 
Why were you looking for me? What is written in the law? Why do you not judge yourself for what is right? Who do you say that I am? Do you love me? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Do you realize what I've done for you? Have I been with you for so long and still you do not know me? Why do you not understand what I am saying? Do you also want to leave me? Where can we buy enough food for them to eat? How is it that you seek praise from one another and not seek the praise that comes from God? If therefore you are not trustworthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If I tell you about earthly things and you will not believe, how will you believe when I tell you of heavenly things? For one who is greater, is it the one who's seated at the table or the one who serves? Has none but this foreigner returned to give me thanks? What are you discussing as you walk along? What concern is it of yours? Do you believe this? Lord, let us pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for asking questions. Thank you for giving us the permission to ask questions back. Thank you for not being so married to the answers so that we don't have to be either. Thank you for inviting us into something that is more than belief, that looks more like trust and a relationship. Thank you for wanting that relationship with us. Lord, help us to pay better attention to the questions that you stir in us and help us have the fortitude to be able to pursue the answers to those questions, but not for the sake of the answers, Lord, but for the sake of the journey. Let us know that you are working and active in our lives, even when it feels like we cannot see or hear you. But let us stand on the promise that you said that you would be there until the very end of the age. And let us have faith and trust in that promise. Amen. For this last bit of service, we will sing one final song and we'll collect today's offering. And the song that we are going to sing is a song that talks about things that we know things that we believe are true, things that we can stand on. As you sing those words, I want you to think about that word as trust, things that you can trust in. Because even when we're uncertain about what we know, there are promises that we can stand on. Because more than the answers, what we believe in is the person and the character of God who has loved you from the very, very beginning and continues to love you still. So will the ushers please come forward?